This episode is supported by Sidetracked Magazine. Welcome to Between the Mountains, presented with the British Adventure Collective. This episode's guest is Matt Pycroft from the Adventure Podcast, and I am so thankful for him to come onto the podcast and have a chat with us and and just talk all things adventure. We explore fear, vulnerabilities, but we also dive into his experiences and his lessons from across his career in his fatherhood and his love for landscape and culture and so much more. Matt's quality of answers is exactly as the, as you'd expect from the majority of you who may well listen to his podcast already, his own podcast, The Adventure Podcast. Uh, and it's his quality of answer that ch- led me to keep the uh, quality of the interview. Um, long story short, <laughs> and ironic for the two podcasters to get together and we have internet issues, but we had to um, leave Zoom and go onto a WhatsApp video call uh, and at times you hear some tapping from my uh, my headphone microphone but you also hear at times me laughing uh, f- from his uh, mic from his phone into his own microphone and for that I kind of apologize I kind of don't Matt's a funny guy so I laughed a couple of times but um, I really really hope uh, it's it's not a bother I, I don't I don't really think it is it's just not the usual standard we go for but Matt's answers were just so incredible and, and inspiring in my mind anyway that I thought let's keep it let's not redo it and um, let's see what you all think and as you may have heard as well um, a, a, an announcement shortly before we get into the episode uh, the um, Between the Mountains podcast is now presented with the British Adventure Collective and we'll go into a bit more detail at, with that perhaps in next week's episode because I don't want to ramble on too much here they are a, a fantastic group of adventurers uh, coming out of Britain and go check them out in the links. We've already had interviews with Emily Scott and Aaron Rolf, who are from the British Adventure Collective, so I implore you to go and listen to them after this. But more details on that to come. I'll leave their website in the show notes for you to go and check them out as well. In the meantime, here is the interview with Matt Pycroft. I do hope you enjoy it. So Matt, welcome to the podcast. It is an absolute pleasure to have you on today. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks very much for having me. It's been um, months of trying to make this happen, so here we finally are. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I've um, we, we've we've both been busy, but um, I've, I think I think more crucially, what I've seen you doing finally is heading abroad again, um, which uh, which is exciting. How does that feel? Yeah, it's been. Um, I have to be careful not to sound ungrateful, but it's a double-edged sword. I mean. I, for the last decade, I've travelled not not full time, but um, a big chunk of my year, I've been travelling in in one way or another, um, lots overseas and lots in the UK, just Scotland and Ireland. But yeah, obviously lockdown hit and that all disappeared. And then twenty twenty one, first time I travelled in overseas in eighteen months, sixteen months was um, to Portugal, um, doing a shoot out there with Sidetracked magazine. And I mean, it was odd, really odd getting on a plane, really odd being overseas. But then since then, work's ramped up again, life's ramped up again. I've been all over the place. I've been filming in California, just got back from Antarctica, and I leave for Panama in a week. So it's, 
Yeah, and I had a daughter in lockdown, so life's changed again. Running a business, running a podcast, it's all, um, yeah, a big... And international travel doesn't make any of it any easier. So I wanted to dive... A similar structure to, you know, so many other things. I wanted to dive right back to the beginning for you. So uh, I think you said growing up in Grimsby um, that you were a, a wayward and wandering child. And I wanted to really sort of delve a bit deeper into just how pivotal the um, the Outward Bound trip was for you. I mean, it, it, if there is one life-changing moment or one defining moment, it's that. I mean, I should be careful not to do my parents a disservice. You know, I... I had a wonderful childhood in many ways. It was just very normal as well. Like I'm not, you know, I'm not from the Lake District. I wasn't born in Zimbabwe, you know, like lots of the people I've interviewed over the years. Um, I was born in Grimsby and I was brought up in Skegness. And for those who don't know the geography or the, the places, you know, Grimsby, I mean, the clue's in the first four letters. And Skegness is where lots of people go on holiday and stay in caravan parks and go to Butlins. And you know, it was just a normal childhood where I spent a lot of time playing computer games, a lot of time building dens in the woods and a lot of time skateboarding. Um, nothing more exciting or exceptional than that. And, you know, we did the family ski holidays when I was a teenager. And we used to, you know, before that, when I was younger, used to go to Cornwall, that sort of thing. But um, outside of that, you know, and then when I was 15 or 16, um, school offered me an opportunity to go and go go on out of bound and I didn't know what it was I'd never heard of it and I just got told I could go and spend some time the first one I did yeah it was in Scotland and it just quite literally there was a snap moment where it changed my life and there's a long long story around um how I got into you know adventure filmmaking things like that but essentially there was this one guy one art instructor Alan Stewart who had been our tutor for this three-week course We've been canoeing, we've been um, kayaking, climbing, and all these amazing, amazing adventurous activities that I'd never done before. And we had this kind of roundup at the end of the trip where they sit down and they ask you what you've learned and what's your plan now and what's the takeaway. And I just said, I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life, really. No idea. And he said, what do you want to do? And it occurred to me in that moment when he asked the question, I said, can I do what you do? And it only just occurred to me that he was a human being. He was a person rather than just like school teachers. Like if you see a school teacher in Morrison's or Tesco's, you're like, why aren't you at school? What are you doing in the real world? Um, and it was, it was like that. And I just thought, oh my God, this is your job. I want to do what you do. So again, long story short, skipping a lot of years, but um, I... Yeah, I, I went down the route of wanting to be a mountain guide and ended up drifting into adventure film. But so, yeah, I mean, as I said, that, that experience was the most formative experience of my entire life, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And you've done since then some huge pieces of work. Um, you know, I, I think, I, I, I can't remember where I saw it. Is it your LinkedIn? You talk about uh, is it the United Nations and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. So you've done some huge pieces of work. But going to those early days, and I suppose skipping a lot of years from Outward Bound to this point, you know, from making sure your camera's gear ready to work in low temperatures in Kulasuk to uh, carrying step ladders up Scottish hills. What are some of those early lessons and experiences that stick with you from those early days? Oh God, that's a good question. I mean, um, I did an internship when I was 21 with a Polish photographer called Lukasz Wojcicki, 
amazing climbing photographer. Um, and that was really formative. And I learned lots about it just kind of that the world doesn't owe you anything. Like this is hard. It's a hard place to work. It's a hard industry to work in and there aren't many seats at the table. Um, and I learned that it's a right, um, you know, it's, it's, sorry, it's not a right. It's a privilege being able to do this sort of thing. I, and that I also, I think a big one is um, the difference between an amateur and a professional. You know, I learned that really early on. I mean, it's all well and good being an incredible photographer or filmmaker if that's what you are naturally. You know, I'm not, I'm really not. I'm not being humble. Um, it, making it a business and making it a lifestyle is a whole different thing. And some people don't want that. Some people want to be an incredibly talented amateur. You know, amateur is Latin. It comes from amor. It's for the love. It doesn't, an amateur isn't less than professional. It's someone who does it for the love. I wanted to be a professional. I needed to make it work for my lifestyle. So I learned early on that um, clever business decisions, client management, being making yourself indispensable, that kind of thing, that was what was going to make it work for me. But also just being tough and being resilient. And I don't mean that in a alpha male, silly, old school Victorian way. I just mean being willing to put up with everything not going how you think it's going to go, both on set in the jungle high up on a mountain or at home um it's a tough industry and it's a tough world to work in and you have to really really want it and there are you know people people see the the glory moments and people see the the bits that look amazing but actually there's so much graft and hard work that goes in behind the scenes and i have had untold like numbers of moments thinking why am i doing this what what is this for and then there are other moments which aren't summits or high fives where you just go, oh, oh, that's why. Um, yeah, but I mean, I in a way, I suppose it's <laughs> going to sound super old, but I'm, I'm almost of like the past generation now who I did an internship and I did carry stepladders up hills and I, I did all of that stuff that seems to have kind of disappeared now. Um, but it was incredibly valuable. Your recent Aldo Kane episode um, that you've put up as well, which is a pleasure to listen to. Um, I know you talked about um, having a thing right at the moment for, for big, white, bearded, white dudes um, talking about vulnerability. And um, I was thinking, you know, those early lessons are important, but you still you still learn throughout like the whole process. Are there any particular things at the moment at the forefront of your mind that, that you're really trying to work on improving, even if it's already good? For me as an individual, you mean? I interpret it as you will. I mean, as an individual, as a professional, as a father, as an adventurer. Yeah, I mean, I'm terrified of my own ego. Um, I'm terrified of my own ego. I'm terrified of my own self-importance. And I'm terrified of my own insecurities. I think, like, it's such an interesting balance. I don't, I don't think it's brave to be... A big strong white alpha male i don't think it's brave at all i think it's really easy i think what's brave is really accepting your flaws and looking at them and trying to work out how to either turn them into strengths or overcome them you know we can't all be perfect people but i the balance of just in a world where everybody judges everything you do especially in a creative industry um you know, people just write a comment on YouTube or tell you that something's a bit long or a bit boring. And, you know, I've just spent six months making that thing. 
and I need that feedback. I want that feedback. I'm an extrovert. I rely on um, external gratification, validation. I hate that I do, but I do. And I'm, I don't hate that I do, actually. I used to hate that I do. Now I just know it about myself. But um, yeah, I, I am constantly trying to balance ego slash confidence with crippling insecurity and imposter syndrome. Um, I can't, I don't want to do that thing, but I'm going to, I'm potentially doing this job this summer. I can't say what it is now and I haven't got the job yet, but it feels really close. And I have moments where I think I've, I deserve this. I've worked for 12 years to get to this point. This is, I am the person for this job. And then 10 minutes later, I watch the showreel I've made for the job and I just go, God, you're shit at this. Like, why are you even, why are you even wasting their time? by trying to convince them that you're right. And if even if you do, you'll get there and you'll mess it up. And that that for me, I mean, that's a, the dial fluctuates daily. So yeah, I mean, that's a big one. The other one is, um, this is a little cheesy line for you, but I'm in love with two things that are entirely incompatible. Um, one is my love for travel and adventure. And that's everything from posh hotels and swanky dinners right through to dirt bagging it for months at a time. I love the full spectrum i just love travel and adventure in all its forms and i'm in love with my family my wife my daughter growing vegetables you know like my little family home life and those two things there is no way for them to live in harmony with each other so i spend a lot of time trying to balance those two things yeah and i actually wanted to delve deeper on that balance too because you know the 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 vibe i got from the conversation you and aldo had was that it, essentially it's important to show your kids how to live not just tell them how to live uh, you're not going to set a good example by not being your fullest self being miserable at home telling them that they need to go and travel to be happy <laughs> um that you know if they do take a lesson from that it would be complete in the wrong way um so yeah diving deeper on that you, you you've got those two kind of opposing passions and i know from my own experience too how in those first 11 months of your daughter, especially, how have you managed to balance those things? Probably not particularly well. Um, if I'm being really honest, I think, you know, my wife would listen to this and say, don't you don't you dare say that you've been the kind of ever present, loving, doting father. I mean, at the start, I absolutely was. And um, I did the kind of early morning shifts all the time, sat there pre-dawn, you know, watching reruns of River Cottage with a tiny baby sleeping in my arm. Um, that was, And it was great. I loved that. And then the summer I worked really hard. And then the winter I've been away. I was away for a month in December and I missed first Christmas. And that was a decision we made together, my wife and I. But the balance has been, it's hard. It's, it's actually impossible. You know, and I accept that. My wife knows that. She's a touring soprano and actress. So she understands my lifestyle that's probably why we work so well but it's just a constant constant game and constant struggle but i i don't find it difficult to justify it to myself um because actually leo holding said to me on the last expedition i did with him i asked him how he justifies the risk we were sat in base camp underneath an old parachute that we turned into a storage area it felt like indiana jones and sat there interviewing leo holding it all felt a bit surreal and he just said to me, I just want my kids to see me living with passion and I want them to see me living authentically. And whether they want to be a ballet dancer, whether they want to be a car mechanic, whether they want to work in Tesco's, whatever it is they want to do, I want them to do it with the same passion and the same fury that I do what I do. 
And so that doesn't mean I get to bugger off around the world for nine or 10 months a year, but it does mean that I have to live my life authentically, which involves for me travel. And I have my reasons for justifying that in the modern world, some of which people can argue with and they're welcome to, but I, I think it matters. I think it's important. Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, it, it's a difficult topic, isn't it? Cause you, you, you want the absolute best for them, but you also need to be yourself in, in being a parent. And I guess what comes to mind is that it's fluid. The situation that is now is not going to be the situation that is not, not just the, you know, forever, you know, air quotes, but month by month, especially with what you do, you're going to be, you know, away for a, a month or two at a time, but then you're going to be back for, for a time. And, and I think there's, there are so many parents who think sitting in a room on their phone on Facebook is being with their kid. Um, and no, being with your kid is being with your kid. Um, and, and when you are there, you're present. And then that's what builds the foundations and the bonds, I think. Yeah, and I've learned, I learned early on, I mean, it hit me actually like a freight train is to just not, not judge parents, other parents. I think it goes one of two ways, but I just now look at everyone and think, you do you. You know, I'm going to do me. I, you know, I flip my daughter upside down and throw her into the swimming pool when she's little. And I feel the right to do that. I know what feels right for me. But when I'm home, I'm there, you know, as in when I'm in the room with her, I'm there. I'm not trying to be somewhere else. I'm trying to be there with her. And that, yeah, I, I get it completely. It's about quality time, not just time. Um, and I, but yeah. I view my whole life like that. I struggle. I, I, have, I can be a little bit intense, I suppose, just because I do everything at 100 miles an hour, which is a huge flaw. I try and twist it to being a strength, but everything needs to be done properly and at speed and with intensity and fury <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah it's um it, it, it's it's almost like two ways of getting the most out of everything isn't it I, I suppose for someone like me who um is home the majority of the time for for my daughter 100 miles an hour wouldn't work um uh it, it would work as a parenting tactic i mean don't get me wrong um all the parents who say oh the years just fly by I don't know where they've gone I've taken that advice and so I actually actually do things with Penny and I, I actually personally feel every single one of those years she's been alive I don't think they've flown by at all because I do stuff with her but then for you yeah I think 100 miles an hour because your environment is changing so much is you could argue that's maximising the most out of your time there but do you ever get burnt out? Uh, I think I'm a bit burnt out now actually I because of the the way I live I, I go through these big phases of like needing some kind of time downtime, which is never time off, but it's slower paced. I've had a really intense 2021 and I'm just feeling a bit tired, a bit lethargic on a daily basis. And like, I'm old enough now and I've done this enough that I know that this is just part of the process. It's not a worry. It's not a problem. You know, it's like taking a rest day as a runner, you know, I, I, I run a lot and a rest day isn't a bad thing. A rest day is part of the process. I can do that with my life over a long, longer linear period. You know, I can have a month of gentler, quieter time. I don't know when I'm going to get that, but that's a different conversation. <laughs> in, in theory, it's there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Well, I wanted, you know, on that topic of burnout and, and something you mentioned earlier, which is imposter syndrome, um, you, you're someone who travels a lot. And you've been, you know, you look at the places you've been, it's, it's, 
it's the majority of the landscape <laughs> um, as far as boundaries go. And we had a little conversation before recording that as far as the, the sort of the invisible boundaries we as humans make, you've been to a lot of places. Um, where do you feel most at home? God, I'm going to give you the cheesiest answer to this. No, I mean, I feel most at home where my wife is. And I think that's because I've been really transient since I was 16. And I get quite lonely, like from being really honest with you, like I'm quite, I'm not very good on my own. I'm such an extrovert and such a people person. And like, I quite, I really love my wife. I suppose that's a good thing, isn't it? And so I miss her a lot when I'm away. And then because she's a touring actress, you know, she tours for months at a time, sometimes years. And so wherever she is, I go when I'm home. She's on tour right now with the baby. So I've, I've, you know, I've been, I've been in Liverpool since I got home from Antarctica. Um, I feel at home on the road, which is the ultimate Jack Kerouac cliche bullshit for you. But I do, you know, we have a, we rent, we don't own a house, but we, we rent a house in Suffolk. That's the only place I've ever felt at home geographically, you know, bricks and mortar. And I've never, I'm not from there. Um, I think my, my mum's from there. I went on family holidays there as a kid and I've got lots of roots there. Um, so I, I've moved there. Um, it's the flattest county in England, I think. And I've moved there. Um, but it, it worked. My wife and I both were really at home there. So it does work. That's an incredible answer. I mean, for, for someone who just so clearly loves nature and landscapes and people uh to to just come right home to to what matters is a that's that's a lovely answer i like that yeah but i um, i don't know maybe i'll go in too heavy with this but i i felt like like three years ago i had this kind of mental health wobble and the recovery from that i felt like i experienced this like fairly profound like ego death in a really really positive way and it's manifested itself in these these amazing ways over the years since then and um i did a shoot last summer in cornwall and i love cornwall i i could live there but it's just too busy in the summer there's not a motorway running out of it etc but i'd done this shoot i'd shot for three days and i hadn't been in the sea and i really wanted to go in the sea and i didn't have time i had to drive away and i didn't have time and the, the steps were closed down to the beach i couldn't just nip down and I saw this woman park her car in a car park like 500 meters away and walk towards the sea in a wetsuit. And I went in my head, I went, oh, it's all right. She's going in, that's enough. And I drove away. And then I was like, well, that's a very strange thing to have experienced, but I don't know. I feel a lot more connected to people and the world these days. And, you know, I live in Suffolk now, it's a flat county, but those mountains in Pakistan and those people that I met there, they're there right now. You know, they weren't just there for me in that moment. They're still there. Those penguins are in Antarctica. You know, those bears are on, in Katmai National Park in Alaska. Mirror Wall still stands there and will do for millions of years. I don't need it all the time. You know, I actually think that living somewhere that isn't stereotypically beautiful from a mountain perspective makes my experiences more special. Um, yeah, anyway, rambling, but no, actually that, that's, that's a beautiful segue to my next point, which is that, you know, in the episode with, um, Sean Conway, uh, he was talking about how, he, I think he described the UK really well. And he was talking about how potentially right now might not be a good time to identify as British, <laughs> um, different podcast. 
but certainly, you know, that that was going to be one of my questions, which is that um, not just being home makes you appreciate when you're away, but when you're away, do you think, despite despite what is going on here in the UK, do you think when you're away it makes you appreciate being home more? Oh God, yeah. And I am a hugely proud Anglophile. I'm not embarrassed to say it or ashamed to say it. And actually, I'm proud to say it. I, yeah, there's so much wrong with England and the UK right now. There's so much I don't agree with. Um, you know, I am a kind of left-leaning, deep thinker. Um, and I'm embarrassed by lots of what happened. I'm obviously going to, you know, I didn't want to leave the EU, and I'm happy to say that. Um, but there's so much that's special about Britain because I'm from here. And there's so much special about France, so much that's special about France, especially if you're from there, etc. You know, I, I love folk music. I love stories. I'm obsessed with English and British folk music and stories. And I love the sea. And I love, you know, the, all of these things that make England special and Britain special. And yes, lots of them we're, lo uh, we're losing. And, you know, it's not about bunting and village fates anymore. But it's an incredibly special place. It's got a lot going for it. And I miss it. I miss it like mad when I'm not there. And whenever anybody says, where's the best place you've ever been? I always say, you know, Scotland, Sky, the coastline in Suffolk. Um, it's not the answer they want, but it's the truth. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, you, you want them to say, oh, this this random peak in Pakistan, which I did a first ascent on and no one else is there. Yeah. Sky, I mean, sky especially is beautiful. You know, what, what's kind of clear is your passions for these these things are a deep rooted in, in emotion. When you go out on these cold house expeditions to to produce these this film and content, are you using that passion to try and portray into your work, or, or do they become different identities and you have a different purpose for what you're filming? That's a good question. This is a very interesting point. Um, I I work a lot in the brand world, right? So lots of my, my actual paid work is creating, you know, what we call branded content or branded entertainment. And so there's always a client who is vetting what I do. And that's fine. Like, I, as I said, there's a difference between an amateur and a professional. And these people are paying me to create films for them. The expeditions are actually no different. You know, I am going on these trips because somebody wants me to make something. And so... I have their brief in my mind, but also they're hiring me because they want me to bring something of myself to those projects. So I, I do, I, I, I definitely have a style. I definitely have my own opinions that drift into my work. And yeah, I, mean, I, I hate the idea of not bringing something of myself to those trips and not being able to be myself, but equally, I also want to be present on those expeditions, which is often difficult. And, you know, I like this mentality that I've developed over the years of, you know, you're an expedition member first, regardless of your role, and then you're a specialist second. So I'm not, especially on the, like, the Leo Holding style expeditions, you know, I'm not getting helicoptered to the top to abseil down and film it. I trudge through the jungle with my bag on. I sleep in the same hammocks as those guys. I eat the same food. We're part of the same team. And that creates a different dynamic rather than it being a film crew just documenting an experience i am part of that experience and that for me is you know one of the greatest joys of everything i've done over the past decade has been being part of those like high functioning high performing teams and feeling like a valued part of 
that. That's been so special. Um, yeah. I also never dreamed I'd do it. Like, I know you didn't ask that, but it's, I think it's a really important point to make. Like people like me don't get to do things like that. And I think about that all the time. You know, I am no rock star. I'm no superhero. I'm not special at all. You know, I, I, I'm not an athlete. I'm, I'm always the least fit member of every team. I'm not a creative genius. I'm not an artist. I just worked really hard at something and wanted it a lot. Um, yeah, and, and I, I think about that all the time. Get myself into these weird situations. You know, I was in Antarctica for Christmas. Just sat on top of this mountain with a pair of skis next to me, ready to do this first descent with a load of people. And I just thought, this is insane. You know, my my mum grew up in a house that didn't have an inside toilet. And here I am on the Antarctic Peninsula with skis on. I mean, yeah, so I'm I'm getting pretty good at not taking things for granted and trying to be present, um, which is learnt behaviour. You know, I'm 33 now. I definitely didn't used to do that. There's there's two points I want to bring. I don't know which one to say first. Um, I think um, I think I'll, I'll go just just because you mentioned now you're trying to be present in the moment. That is that's difficult for most people who go on a walk by themselves with nothing. Um, but for a photographer and content creator, that is especially for when I've picked up doing what I do here. Uh, that is next level. And um and uh, Ian Finch, who I'm sure you know. Um, uh, some he said in in the podcast he did with me he said that um, some of the best pictures aren't the ones you take they're the ones that you remember so in trying to be present in the moment are there you know as a professional photographer are there any moments that come to mind where your mind's eye caught the picture and you didn't you didn't catch it on your camera you were just you were just present I mean there are loads actually I but for me it's not it's not moments it's almost like the longer periods, you know, for example, like on the last um, big expedition I did to Guyana, you know, these long expeditions, right, you're there for six weeks and I've only got three terabytes of hard drive space and I'm filming and I'm taking photos and, you know, there's, we lived on one ledge, which was about a foot deep, maybe a foot and a half deep and about nine feet wide. And we lived there for seven days, eight days with three portal ledges. And the first day I was shooting like mad. You know, everybody's there, we're cooking, uh, making coffee and eating food and bang, 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 you know, get the jungle in the background, get the ropes, get the angle, go this way, go that way, really document this place. By sort of the end of day two, I really kind of shot as much as I could there. And so I ended up just sitting there. And, you know, I, I, I agree with Ian, but my... I'm always like trying to capture everything. I'm a bit of an overshooter. And so my my moments of not shooting and actually reflect, reflecting are sat, you know, with Waldo on a ledge, just looking out over the jungle, talking about something that isn't anything to do with the expedition. Or listening, Ro Waldo's always pulling a soundbar out and playing reggae and just sat there. I don't really listen to reggae, but suddenly I'm listening to reggae on a ledge halfway up an unclimbed you know, first ascent, looking out over virgin rainforest, thinking, yeah, this is good. Um, the other one is, this is a, you know, we won't go down this rabbit hole too much, but the other one is running. Like I, I run a lot and 50% of that's for my head, 50% is for my fitness. Um, 
that's where I'm really present. And, you know, I have to, I was about to say I have to fight for it, but I don't. It's, it's voodoo. I don't get to pick when I'm going to be sort of really present and have those amazing flow experiences where I'm just there. But when they happen, it's better than any drug, I imagine. Yeah. Well, that kind of that kind of borders on something we were talking about before we recorded, which is, um, you know, discussing adventurers, uh, what what adventure is, and um, and and just you know, like we I was, I was saying, I was, you know, just chatting before this, yeah, you know, I, I I I like to get people done sort of big projects on, but really that's not that's not what ad- adventure is like solely, you know. And when we were talking about, as you say, it was Al who had the uh, he has his house at the center of a map, and is he's just exploring every OS grid around his map. Um, and that could be the same thing, just having a conversation you could have in a pub, but instead you're having it in this special moment is, uh, it, that, that's also adventure and, and, and running just, just, to just to sort your mental health out and pushing yourself. That's adventure. It, it's not, it's not just doing what John Gupta did and, and getting phenomenal footage from the top of Everest. <laughs> um, I've just worked in this industry a while now, but I'm, 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 you know, I suppose I, I shoot nice pictures for a living, right? But adventure, it's all semantics. And to an extent, it's irrelevant, but I, it matters to me. And it matters to me because I think it's at risk. I think we're, we're it's under threat and everybody's a bloody explorer these days. And actually nobody really that calls himself an explorer is. Um, and I'm very happy to say that out loud. I'll shout that from the rooftops if I get the chance. Um <laughs> Because I think it's narcissism. I think it's just, I think it is narcissism and I think it's damaging. You know, what is an adventure? I have adventures all the time and they're awesome. And often they involve my dog who is sat there. Um, I had a bit of an adventure this morning. So I wanted a coffee and I'm a bit of a coffee snob and I don't know this town I'm in. And I went out and it was foggy and it was hazy. And I took the dog and we wandered through these cobbled streets. I didn't know where I was going. And I stopped to look in the shop windows that were closed. And I could see smoke coming from a chimney. And I thought, oh, that person's up early and they've lit their fire. And, you know, I just wandered these streets that I've never walked before. You know, was it exploration? Sort of for me. But really, it was just a little adventure. And they give me, they give everyone, they give us these little dopamine hits and these little feelings of purpose and worth and adventures i think an adventure requires an element of physicality it requires one to be moving but it it requires us to be present because we have things to do navigation you know or that physicality that element of movement we we can't be doing something else because we we need to be focused on this thing that's where i feel like i click into adventure mode and you know i've been fortunate to interview i mean god i think it's over 500 people over the years but for the podcast, you know, 90 or so. And it's a recurring theme, you know, that being present, having something to do. And then just to, you know, harp on my little soapbox, um, exploration. At the best way I can find to sum it up is an adventure is a journey of self. Exploration requires you to bring something back for the tribe. And that tribe could be society, global society. It could be, you know, your particular little scientific outfit. It could be, it could be many things, but that for me is a really important differentiation. I don't see, and I I see huge value in certain people walking to the South Pole. Um, So Preet Chandri, who's just become the first um, person of color to walk solo to the South Pole. Great. Awesome. You know, we need that. Um, 
What we don't need is rich white blokes walking the last degree of the South Pole and then calling themselves explorers, paying, you know, 80 grand for the privilege to be guided there, walking along a road which has had the glaciers, uh, the crevasses filled in by a JCB, which is literally what happens. That is damaging and it's narcissistic. There is no exploration there. Especially when you've got scientists wandering around on glaciers in Greenland working out how old the ice is. That's exploring and that's awesome. You know, people, we've got people going down into the oceans in submarines. Exploration. I've got a friend who's going to the Karakoram this year. Um, Three-person expedition. And they're all white dudes, but they're taking Google Map printouts as their maps because there's no maps of the area. So they, that, I mean, that's exploration, right? They're charting something. They're bringing something back for wider society. Um, it also happens to be an adventure. Um, I was going to tie in what you said there. Um, it, it, it struck me when you first mentioned it at the beginning of the, the, beginning of the podcast, um, and, and I sort of sat on it. When, when you said that you're terrified of your, uh, your ego and your self-importance, I was thinking, that's not just personal. I, I think, you know, li- I, I mean, I'm not going to put words in your mouth. I'll, I'll let you say it. Does that, is that also because it ties into what's going on with climate change in the world right now and how we are kind of insignificant? Yeah, and yeah, totally. And we're all hypocrites, right? And the thing I think, the, the problem at the moment is that we're just, we're, there's so much disinformation and so much information. So I literally don't know the answer to what I should eat, okay? I cannot work it out, not for love nor money, and... I don't get why it's so hard for me to work it out, but it is. So some people tell me that I should be living some paleolithic life where I eat red meat and do this, that, and the other. Others say I should be vegan. Some say that I should do intermittent fasting. Some say that intermittent fasting is bad. Some running coaches, highly regarded, will tell you that foam rolling is a waste of time. Others will tell you it's the secret to a healthy body. Like, I, I cannot work out what the answer is. And that applies to climate change. It applies to everything we ever do. You know, I don't eat avocados, but that, you know, things like that. But our own, the problem is we know too much and we've come too far. It's impossible now for us as a society to stop traveling, to stop living with what we we need that purpose, but it's how do we find it? And, you know, I I find great purpose in growing food and being a good dad, but is that enough for me? I'm not sure I'd be happy if I could never travel again, but... And there's a huge but here, and I recognize how lucky I am because I have found a wider purpose, which I'm sure some people would criticize and say is just an excuse. And, that you know, I'm not scared of the hard conversations, so they're welcome to get in touch as long as they're kind. Um, but I genuinely believe there's this cheesy Attenborough quote, which is, um, no one will love what they've never experienced, and people won't um, protect what they don't love. It's the other way around, but you get the point. You know, we... We need to experience things in order to love them. And we need to love them in order to protect them. And I genuinely believe that, you know, running an adventure podcast, creating photography and creating films that inspire people to go out and have adventures is an amazing way to encourage people to be adventurous. And, you know, I've got the emails that kind of evidence that and what people have done as a result of seeing these things or listening to these things. But I want to encourage people to live an adventurous life. That's my purpose. That's it's that that you know that's it. And I, I read this incredible book called *The Good Ancestor* by an Australian philosopher called Roman Krisnarik, who lives in England now. Um, and 
he writes about the seventh generation principle when and um native american people had seventh generation representatives where somebody's job was to sit there in community meetings and represent the seventh generation from now and if the decisions that were being made didn't result positively in in the seventh generation future they didn't do it they they just said no we're not doing that i mean imagine if we lived in that world so what i'm trying to do now is behave in a way and live in a way and create a future that is actually positively influencing the seventh generation yes i should be a vegan probably yes i shouldn't fly around the world probably but you know final little point on my soapbox here is 250 years ago we didn't know electricity existed and those people 250 years ago thought they were geniuses and they thought they knew everything we think we're geniuses and we think we know everything we don't know anything and so i find immense hope immense hope and immense purpose in this whole idea of like i am a tiny little cog in a massive special complicated machine and all i can do is live positively live well live authentically and live in a way that tries to make that machine move forwards at a a rate and in a direction that I feel is positive. I'm not narcissistic and egotistical enough to believe that I know the answer to everything. And hopefully the seventh generation from now, they'll know a lot more than me and they'll have worked stuff out. What more can I do than that, right? Exactly. Exactly. And I think that's a I think that's a really good place to, to sort of bring this round to a to a close as well. I think um with, with someone like you, I think there's only there's only a one way to end uh, a podcast um, and and interpret this as you will, reaffirm the answers you've given if you want or give new ones. But two questions. I should have seen this coming. <laughs> what scares you? What scares me? Uh, what scares me? I mean, I've sort of said it to you, but I'll try and give you a better answer. I scare myself. I think that is, I am scared of myself. I'm scared that I'm scared that I'm wrong and that I haven't noticed yet. I'm scared of my own ego. I'm scared of my insecurities, but I'm also scared of my anger. Like I get quite angry and I've learned, I really have to, and it's that kind of classic Northern working class white rage um, where I've spent so many years turning every emotion I ever had into anger. But actually I've now, you know, through help had to learn how to not do that and I'm still working on it so I'm really scared of being angry because that is not it's just so toxic and really and that hurts people oh, that's a good better answer I'm really scared of hurting people and of course I do you know we all do we don't mean to but yeah I don't like that and then uh the last question which is um I mean you've given us one example you might just want to reaffirm and summarize that but what brings you hope yeah, what brings me hope is, um, I mean, purpose is inevitable, right? Like having a purpose is so hopeful. What brings me hope as well is um, other people's passion. That's a definite one. I have to say my daughter, obviously, because that, you know, she does, but it's the cheesy answer and it's a bit dull. Um, but yeah, what really gives me hope is my own... I have to phrase this well. What gives me hope is my own insignificance in a really positive way. You know, I don't have some, I don't believe that God has a plan for me. You know, that's not the sort of person I am. I'm an atheist. I'm probably a bit more agnostic, actually, but that's for a different podcast, a different day. Um, with, but that's relevant, right? I, I, I find power in how much I don't know and the pursuit of knowledge and the pursuit of helping others find knowledge and just...
recognizing that I'm on this little journey on my own, I think that's, yeah, really hopeful. Growing vegetables, that's pretty hopeful. Pretty awesome thing to do. The innocence of my dog. Matt, <laughs> I think that last one is the most important one. <laughs> Well, listen, Matt, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. That that has been truly incredible. Thank you. No, thank you. It's great to chat. Bye.